rocketed from a distant planet to a bold new destiny on Earth. Found by a Kansas family and raised as Clark Kent, he learned he possessed the strength of steel, the speed of light, and the desire to help all mankind. He is Superboy. Everybody, welcome to episode 204 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this is my penultimate episode in which I will be covering the Salkind produced Superboy television series, which aired on in syndication from 1988 until 1992. I am covering episodes 19 and 20 of season 4, Obituary for a Superhero, and Metamorphosis, two episodes that could not be more different. The first episode is done in a different format, kind of done as a bit of a new show. It was originally supposed to be the series finale, more on that later. But it is basically a uh, news show covering the first day after the death of Superboy. And Metamorphosis is another age-old trope of stolen youth. As our villain, Adrian Temple, uh, steals the the youth from uh, people who attend his gym and Use it to give himself immortality so uh, he can remain forever young. But before I get to that, I have feedback to address. Feedback is from Dave McElvenny. Dave's writing in on Man of Screen episode 193. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. A couple of decent stories here, although not really standout ones. In A Taste for Armageddon, we have what probably could have been a much better episode in the hands of a more experienced writer than Gerard Christopher. But it's not bad for a first-time writer. Superboy unwittingly signed a contract with the devil, or some supernatural being. It's a good premise, but I don't think it is very well executed here. First, such stories from Faust to the devil and Daniel Webster to damn Yankees and beyond usually involve some quid pro quo that both parties are aware of and agree to, which doesn't seem to be the case here. Superboy didn't have any idea that he was signing such an agreement, and as far as I can see, there was nothing promised to him in exchange for his service, which doesn't make for any sort of remotely binding agreement even if it were with the devil himself. Second, there's usually some trickery involved in the contract itself, and some fine hair-splitting in getting out of the contract, neither of which happened here either. It was a lesser story of Superboy falls under a spell and is forced to do the bidding of a villain, which can also be the foundation of a good story. But this one just seemed passable rather than good to me. The resolution with Waters being sentenced to life without parole is a good one, even allowing for the possible return appearance, since an immortal villain will give it enough time, probably escape at some point. But with just one season left, I assume that won't happen. Standoff, as you pointed out repeatedly, has a flaw early on in Clark's failure to take out the convict when they were alone together in the back of the restaurant. But that sort of thing is not terribly common in a lot of fiction. Often, characters don't take obvious steps that would end the story before it begins because the writer either misses those obvious steps and then realizes that they're would be no story in hopes the audience won't notice or just go along for the sake of the story. Better writers don't do that, but not every writer is a better writer. Given that, this one again wasn't bad, but it could have been better. I was more focused on the unremarked upon future after the episode was over. Everyone in that bar restaurant would have been a witness at the trial that surely would result. Clark, who had supposedly been shot at without being hit, would certainly have been a witness. Now how would he have testified on the oath to the events of the day? 
Now that's an episode I'd have enjoyed seeing, at least in the hands of a good writer. That could have even been better than A Day in the Double Life. I'm very much looking forward to the two-parter, The Road to Hell. Like you, I really enjoy parallel stories. Live long and prosper. Dave McElvetti. As always, Dave, thank you for writing in. It's always greatly appreciated. Uh, I'm going to be quite frank. I don't know if Dave is watching along. Sometimes I think he is. Other times I don't think so. This is one of those times where I don't think so because maybe I didn't explain it well enough during my coverage of the episode, but there are some things that Dave seemed to have missed with regard to Taste for Armageddon. The Superboy thought he was signing some kind of declaration of principles to help the homeless or something like that. So it was kind of just a, like one of those things you'd sign to uh, join an organization or something. It just seemed to be like this uh, oath to be charitable. And that declaration is what disguised the, the contract. He didn't actually think he was signing a contract, but the trickery involves in uh, him signing this uh, declaration of principles to help the homeless. So that is the contract, and I, ge- I guess the only way to get out of the contract was to destroy it. I would have liked to see Superboy have taken a more active role in getting himself out of the contract, but the story introduced, I think the character's name was Mr. Woods, and he kind of served as the way to get Superboy out of the contract. And yeah, I did enjoy the resolution of him being uh, sentenced to life without parole as that does seem to be the best way to torture a villain like him is to keep him in jail for the rest of his natural life. And since his natural life will go on forever until Armageddon, I mean, there's no real better way to torture the guy. But no, it won't happen. And honestly, this is the kind of villain that can just wait out until Superboy is gone and bring about Armageddon another way. So that kind of takes care of that episode. I really don't have anything else to say about that. Standoff, you know, it does have the flaw, the fatal flaw early on. And I think I got to a point where I just enjoyed giving the episode a ton of crap because of that. But it is, Dave's right, it's not something that's uncommon in a lot of fiction. Yeah, I, uh, if he took care of the problem right then and there, there'd be no episode. So, you know, the easier fix to that could have been just the kind of thing where Clark starts backing up toward the room where the other guy was and... Could have cornered him before he went into the closet, which would have made him unable to change in front of everybody. But, you know, people made mistakes all around in that episode. The um, one criminal panicked and caused all the trouble. So, yeah, there. although it was a fun story, it's just one of those stories that doesn't kind of hold up if you look at it too closely. But that doesn't take away from uh, how fun it was. And as far as Dave wanted to see an episode where Clark had to testify about the events of this day without revealing who he is. I don't know if you're looking ahead, Dave, but that's kind of the premise of Cat and Mouse, which I covered a few weeks ago. Well, actually, Dave should know that by now, but when he wrote this letter, he didn't know that that is the premise to Cat and Mouse, which uh, Clark is under, is being interviewed by the psychiatrist, and he has to answer truthfully without giving away who he is. Although I will say that particular episode was not better than A Day in the Double Life. It was pretty much a clip show. For those of you who remember last week's episode, it's been a while since I've recorded it, so I kind of uh, forgot that uh, that was just last week. Hard to believe being that work is kicking up again. It's been almost a week since I watched these two episodes that I'm recording about today. Fortunately, I remember them. So let's take a podcast promo break as I have no other feedback. When I come back, 
obituary for a superhero. Hang around, folks. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it. And now we're going to do it, too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. (laughs) It's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show, Make Ours Marvel. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start this episode off with Obituary for a Superhero. Original broadcast date was April 26, 1992. Directed by John Unick. Written by Stan Berkowitz. Guest cast included Sherman Howard as Lex Luthor, Bill Mummy as Tommy Puck, Barry Myers as Bizarro, Michael Callan as John Corbin slash Metallo, George Saris as Fred Mandel, Elizabeth Rothan as the female reporter, Lisa Thurman as the bureau worker, Jesse Ziegler as the boy, Joanne Garcia Switcher as the girl, Christian Trulson as the scholarly type, Jim Grimshaw as Captain Harold Nicholson, and Kurt DeWitt as boy number two. And our synopsis is brought to you by Wikipedia. And it's a very short synopsis. The TV show Nighttime covers the breaking news of Superboy's apparent death involving a yacht, a distress call, and a kryptonite bomb. Several people are interviewed through the course of the episode as Matt gives a statement on Superboy's death. I have a brief statement, and then you can ask whatever you want. This is Matt Ritter, a senior field agent at the Bureau. Everyone at the Bureau is shocked and saddened by Superboy's death. He was a friend to all of us here, but his loss will be felt by the entire world. Will there be a statement from Lana Lang? As soon as she's ready. What was your relationship with Superboy? He was a friend. Somebody I could always count on. And he taught me a lot about dedication and sacrifice. And something else, too. Most people only dream about flying, and I was no exception. But thanks to him, I got a chance to experience it. And I'll never forget it. Thank you. Luthor calls into the show to give Fred Mandel, the anchor, some crap. Uh, We've just gotten a call from one of Superboy's most persistent adversaries, Lex Luthor. He's on the he's on the line right now. Hello, uh, Mr. Luthor. Hello. Uh, Are you still there for the moment? I know those busy police operators are trying to trace this call. And why are you calling at all? 
Why to express my sorrow and sense of deep personal loss over the apparent death of Superboy? Hmm. Do I detect a note of sarcasm in your voice, Mr. Luther? Gosh, Fred, I don't know, do you? Superboy and I had our differences, but I never expected it to end like this. Oh, of course not. Did you have anything to do with it? <laughs> You're awfully blunt, aren't you? Uh, occupational hazard. Well, did you? Fred will have to invoke the fifth on that one, Freddy. Okay, let me put it another way. Are you glad that he's dead? Well, I don't think I know that he is dead. Uh, assuming that he is, would you be? Well, let's put it this way. I'm saving the champagne till I'm sure. With all due respect, this is going nowhere, Mr. Luthor. Uh, if we can, let's switch back to the Sequoia for an update. Make it snappy, Fred. I'm a busy guy. Captain Nicholson, have there been any developments? Well, the sonar spotted something on the bottom, uh, but... A body? It's shaped like one, but the sonar waves aren't bouncing off it like they would off flesh. More like it's made out of steel. Steel? We're going to try to haul it up in a few minutes. I've got to go talk to the divers now, so if you'll excuse me. Uh, of course. Uh, we'll be back. Yo, Fred, remember me? How could I forget? I suppose you have a comment. Hello? Uh, Luther, are you still there? What was that? Oh, I'm still here, all right. And that was the champagne. <laughs> and eventually, uh, Lana calls to uh, talk about her feelings for Superboy and... We now turn to one of Superboy's closest friends and confidants. Someone who shared peril after peril with him. Until this final one. Lana Lang. Lana, I know this is difficult for you, but please, if you would, tell us what you're feeling right now. I didn't agree to do this to tell you what I'm feeling. I am doing this to let whoever's responsible know that if it takes my last breath, I will make you pay. I don't know how, but I will. Uh, could you tell us what your relationship was with Superboy again? I just don't understand how someone could do this. He was so strong and powerful. But you never felt that. You, you only felt his gentleness. Mm. Anyone who could have hurt him is not human. It's pretty clear that you felt very strongly for Superboy. Would you say those feelings were mutual? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I always hoped. Mm. But he always had so much to do, he never had time for a relationship. Mm. Would you have preferred that he had not gotten involved in so much that he had taken the time? I used, I, I used to wish that. Mm. But then I, I realized that he wouldn't be who he was. And um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't love him. Well then, you got just exactly what you deserved, didn't you? Luther? This is unexpected. Well, the telephone is so impersonal. And that photo you have of me, just a tad unflattering, don't you think? I wouldn't say that this was much of an improvement. And it's not exactly anonymous either. Isn't that the Capital City train station behind you? Well, gosh, now that you mention it, I think you might be right. Not that it matters. After all, who's going to come catch me? Super corpse? You are so cold, Luther. Cold? I'm just being objective. After all, isn't that what television news is all about? You did it, didn't you? 
Didn't you? Come now, my crimson-haired gummy bear. You don't expect me to just blurt it out, do you? <sighs> you are garbage. He was so powerful, but you only felt the gentleness. Uh, uh, apparently, they've brought something up. Uh, we go now to the Coast Guard Cutter Sequoia. No. Looks like I better put another magnum on ice. You, you, you killed him. You keep saying that. Would it make you feel any better if I said I did? No? Well, I can only assume it'd make you feel worse. In that case, let me just say unequivocally, yes, I did it. The old kryptonite bomb routine, neatly stowed aboard a radio-controlled yacht. Embarrassingly simple, really. The only glitch was having to wait so long for them to recover the body. But now, I got the world on a string. Wait a minute. Are you really saying that you did it? Uh, in front of millions of people? Are you admitting to murder? Why not? Now that the boy of steel has gone to that big junkyard in the sky, there's nothing and no one to stop me. We go now to Captain Nicholson of the Coast Guard Cutter Sequoia. Uh, Captain Nicholson, have you brought up Superboy's body yet? Uh, kind of. Kind of? Well, you see, high-definition sonar is still in the developmental stages, and someday it's going to be a very effective tool uh, for... But, Captain, 15 minutes ago you said you discovered Superboy's body. Uh, that's not what I said. I said we found a human figure that wasn't flesh. Right, you said steel, but who else could it have been? Well... If your cameraman will pull back, I'll show you. Came from an old sailing ship called Hopetown. Went down in 1836. It was an understandable mistake. <laughs> a figurehead from an old ship. But that still leaves the question open, where is Superboy? Cat got your tongue, Luther? No, I do. Took you long enough to show yourself. You thought I was dead? I had to let everyone think that until whoever set the bomb stepped forward. Somehow I wasn't surprised when it was you. Uh, Superboy, you weren't affected by the bomb? I would have been if I had been aboard the ship when it went off. But just before that, when I scanned the hull for leaks, I spotted the bomb, so I went out through the bottom of the ship and into the water. <laughs> and uh, what about the figurehead? I saw it when I was underwater, so I moved it closer to the wreckage to buy myself some more time. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> Lock! Dumb luck! Olana, I apologize. No, I, I, I understand. No, I, I shouldn't have. It's okay. I, you had to. Thanks. Olana, I heard what you said before, and the feeling's mutual. Miss Lang? Miss Lang, the interview's not over. Yes, it is. I have more important things uh, but, to do. Uh, can, uh, can we go to tape? We can. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, I'm Fred Mandel, and this has been Nighttime. <laughs> incredible. Absolutely incredible. So, this was supposed to be the series finale, which would have ended in a cliffhanger to be resolved in a proposed Superboy TV movie, for those of you who remember TV movies. This idea was scratched due to owner's rights, I believe at this point, 
Warner Brothers had wanted to get Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman off the ground and whatever rights to the Superman characters and Superboy that the Salkind still owned. I believe this is when they shake that back, started to get that back from the Salkind. Superman 4 was not licensed from Warner Brothers to Golden Globus. That, the Salkind licensed that film out to Golden Globus. That's why there's that credit in Superman 4 that the series was initiated by Alexander Salkind. So anyway, the Salkinds were losing the rights at this point, and Warner TV was, was getting ready to go ahead with Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. So this having been scratched as the season finale, Rites of Passage, Parts 1 and 2, which I'll be covering next week, was written to conclude the show. While the idea of a Superboy movie, at least a TV movie, I'm pretty sure there was no way in hell he was getting a theatrical release. While there was certain appeal to the idea of a TV movie with Superboy, I'm not sure I would have enjoyed seeing this episode as the finale for the series proper. Basically, this episode, and this show has definitely experimented with formats in season four. We had the last two episodes with clip shows, basically, for different reasons. One with Lana trying to figure out who Superboy was, the clip show with Cat and Mouse, and now this show is actually a news, news report. Basically uses one set, the news set, and one main guest star, which is the news reporter, Fred Mandel, and then little snippets from other actors, which, for all intents and purposes, could have been filmed when they had when they had these guys. I mean, being this was planned as the series finale, they might have had an idea of what they wanted to do for the series finale. So Bill Mummy as Tommy Puck was way back in the first two episodes. Of the, so they could have just as easily filmed him giving a news report or a news interview when they had him on set. I think he was even still wearing the same outfit that he was way back when. Because I don't think there's anybody from past seasons. Everyone who who did an interview on Nighttime appeared in at least once in season four, except for the people that were added. So apparently we think the Superboy is dead and they're searching for his body in the icy Atlantic Ocean. And this uh, news program is called Nighttime, which is probably a ta- uh, on, I believe, Nightline was the going concern back then. So this is the death of Superboy, day one. And we're getting interviews and testimonials. One guy, I believe he's the one that's called the scholarly type, just refers to him as an Ubermensch, which, or that I believe has some roots in Nazi Germany. And uh, now there's some kids talking about him. The girl loves Superboy, and uh, the boy is in denial about being him being dead. He doesn't believe it or doesn't want to. So here's the timeline. Uh, at 2.10, I believe 2.10 in the afternoon, a yacht was sinking off the coast of Capital City. A distress call was sent out. Superboy landed on the yacht. The yacht exploded, and now he's presumed dead in an explosion. The news report from nighttime doesn't tell you right off the bat that there was kryptonite. It's something he kind of finds out through the course of his report. because, And that's key information that's missing right here because, you know, an ordinary explosion wouldn't hurt Superboy. So we got the Coast Guard captain here. This is Harold Nicholson. Has determined that there is no sign of Superboy. And... I took notes on this episode, and I'm going to go through it as best I can, but this is a difficult episode to discuss, as there's really no chronology and narrative. It's a news program, and I guess I can evaluate it on that basis alone. And the story is unveiled through interviews that Fred Mandel is doing throughout his half hour. You can almost consider this episode kind of in real time, as a new show can be 22 minutes. I mean, even those that were, you know, did multiple stories, but this could be a special based on Superboy's death. So the captain tells Fred Mandel that the yacht was a fake and this one is registered to nobody. And now there's 
like there's a rumor that pieces of kryptonite have been found around the site. So that explains why people think Superboy is dead. Kryptonite is not a guarded secret in this universe as it is in other ones. So there it is. Everybody knows the effect Kryptonite has on them, so they have plenty of reason to presume death. So Matt gives a statement about Superboy's death, expressing their sadness over it, and he describes Superboy as a friend and someone who inspired him to be better, and he talks about being taken to fly, at least saying that he had the opportunity. That calls back to, oh, what was the name of that episode? The, the Katia episode with the uh, guys uh, and the fire creature. Uh, Sons of Icarus, I believe, is, was the name of the episode. And he, he again, learned sacrifice. And so somebody asks uh, if Lana Lang is going to give a statement. You know, I'm not sure how well Lana's relationship with Superboy is known, but I guess some people know about it. I guess they know there's a connection between the two, even if uh, they don't know the extent of it. So now a satellite is uh, malfunctioning, and uh, Mandel uh, says something about a uh, reference to Superboy, and... Uh, now we go to the satellite feed, and here is uh, Bizarro acting pretty angry about being dead. And uh, in his anger and sadness, his language skills are reverting back to what we've come to expect from Bizarro. For those of you who remember the end of the To Be Human two-parter, Bizarro was learning how to read from the scientist whose name was escaping me at the moment, and he was getting better with language and using the uh, proper pronouns when necessary. But here in his anger, he's uh, reverting back. So, you know, there's always uh, been a kinship with Superboy and Bizarro throughout the course of this series. And now that the series is ending, it's nice to kind of get a look at all the main villains one last time. If this format does nothing, it gives us that. Because this is the last time we're going to see everybody. Lex Luthor does not figure at all in the uh, two-part finale. So, with Bizarro done, we're back. We're going to... Roger Corbin. Oops. You know, I guess, uh, you know, somebody screwed that up. His name was John Corbin. But you know what? Being that now it's a news program, we can blame it on nighttime. I doubt that it's an intentional goof, but there it is. And you can see Metallo was in a weakened state without his kryptonite heart. And Metallo makes this interesting comment about Superboy not having the guts to uh, run the country with him. If you remember, that was something Superboy mentioned to Metallo during the events of Super Menace, when he was under the uh, influence of the Red Kryptonite way back in Season 2. He goes up to Metallo and says, oh, yeah, we can be running this country in a month. And then, you know, it doesn't happen. Because Lana comes in and uses reverse psychology to bring Superboy out of the funk. So now, Lex Luthor calls in because, of course he does. And uh, <laughs> Nighttime puts up this great shot of Lex Luthor with his tongue out, giving out a raspberry. You know, where does the news get a picture like that? I'm not saying it's not great, and I'm not saying it and laugh and have a good time looking at that, but I'm just trying to picture like a program director seeing uh, that picture and going, really, this is the best we've got? But, you know, it almost seems appropriate for the jovial mood that Lex is in when he calls. And Luthor is uh, not feeling very sad about Superboy's death, let's just say that. We wouldn't expect him to, and... Uh, Fred Mandel is uh, asking Lex if he had anything to do with it. Live on the air. Does he really think Lex Luthor is going to admit to a capital crime live on nighttime? I mean, it'd be quite the coup if he did, but yeah, that's not happening. So Luthor is playing coy with his feelings. He doesn't know that Superboy is dead yet. So 
Now uh, we go back to the captain. They may have found the body, but Sonar is jumping off it like the body is made out of steel, which that's the kind of thing that takes the Taboy of Steel label a little too literally. I mean, even though he's invulnerable, his body would still be flesh. Just because he's the quote-unquote boy of steel doesn't mean he's actually made of steel. So that bit didn't make a whole ton of sense to me. And uh, thinking that this meant Superboy was dead, Lex pops some champagne while on the air because, of course. Although the only problem is it's kind of like being on a Zoom meeting. He can't share his champagne with Fred Mendel and Lana, who I believe is on. Oh, no, no, Lana's not on the call yet. So the next interview we go to is Tommy Puck kind of making light at how, about how much he likes to uh, experiment on humans. And Puck uh, wants Superboy's cadaver to do experiments with. But he's not even cold yet, and uh, Tommy's thinking of all the things he can learn from dissecting uh, a dead Superboy. And honestly, I'm sure if there were people to do that, the government's first choice would not be Tommy Puck. So, again, we're still thinking that maybe they found Superboy's body, and they confirmed the kryptonite found in the water. So, we go back to a clip now of a reporter asking Superboy why he does what he does. And he says he does it because he wants to, and he wants to step in when things go wrong, and he wants to be helpful. And uh, she asked about the risk to his life being in Jeopardy, which is something that he seems to not have thought of, but Superboy or Superman never backs down because of risk, at least not risk to himself. He will do what he feels is right, no matter the cost, and that's just a great way to look at Superboy or Superman doing the right thing to do for the right reason, regardless of any kind of price you might pay for doing so. You know, just doing the right thing for the right thing to do is something that seems so hard for people to grasp. It's just... The core essence of what Superman is. So, now here's Lana, and uh, she isn't doing the interview to tell Fred how she's feeling. She is swearing revenge. I understand she's upset and not thinking clearly, but how exactly is Lana Lang uh, going to take revenge on Superboy's presumed killers? Who, I guess she's guessing, are in the underground basement that Alex has been based out of. So, she's upset and doesn't understand how someone could do this to Superboy. And she describes his gentleness. And she always hoped that her feelings for him are mutual, but mentions that, you know, he was far too busy for any kind of relationship. Lana's thought on his feelings is something that should definitely be remembered for later on in the episode. And she doesn't wish that he hadn't taken the time to do what he does, but that's because she realized that he wouldn't be himself if he did that, and she wouldn't love him. So that shows how much Lana understands Superboy. It's almost like she learned something from the... Who is Superboy episode. So now uh, Lex Luthor is live and on video now because he didn't really care for the raspberry photo. Honestly, if I was a subject to that photo, I probably wouldn't care either. If I was, on, However, if I was on the run with the law after me, I probably wouldn't be calling into the local news show either. But it does give us an interesting uh, moment on the air here of Lana and Lex going after it. This kind of thing is what you know news program directors dream of. You know, they can smell that Emmy. So Lana thinks uh, Luther did it, and uh, Lex eventually admits that he did it, and he's admitting it because there's no one to stop him, and then he gives the TV news a raspberry, kind of like the picture on the screen. So Sherman Howard, again, hamming it up, really uh, owning the screen whenever whenever he's on it. When Sherman Howard is on the screen as Lex Luthor, whether it's a screen on the screen or just in general, Luthor definitely commands the, uh, the presence on the screen. So, Sonar hasn't found Superboy's body yet, but apparently they found some kind of statue. And with the statue found, we find Luthor speechless. And all of a sudden, Superboy is there choking him. So, apparently, uh, Superboy faked his own death 
the draw Luthor out. He escaped the bomb and let everyone think he was dead by swimming out through the water. And he used the uh, figurehead to move into position to buy himself some time. And I like the way, in the end of that, he uh, throws Luthor to the side like weak old garbage. And then Superboy tells Lana that the feeling is mutual on the very least local television. I don't know if it's the national news program, but there it is. And Lana is ending the interview and running off, presumably to meet Superboy. As this episode is also coming to an end. And it continues to end with the kid denying Superboy's death, death telling us that he told us so. That kid, <laughs> kid appeared several times at the episode saying he's not dead. And now he kind of gets the, uh, the one up on us. So give the writers credit for trying to do something different. But it still reeks of trying to save money. It just seems like there are a lot of episodes that relied on clips and model shows in this season. I mean, to have a clip show two episodes in a row is almost a crime. So I'm guessing they were saving the two-parter for something else. Either the show had its budget cut this season or it overspent on its two-parters. And maybe these oddly formatted episodes help make up the difference. I don't know. But it's an interesting way to do a mystery and have a bunch of guest stars and not, that really don't do anything. I'm not sure this would have made a great series finale either, like I said before. This is just one of those episodes that while the odd format makes it memorable, that doesn't make it great. Sometimes memorable. So it just makes it memorable. Sometimes memorable is not indicative of quality. So now I'm going to take another break, play another promo. When I come back, metamorphosis. Hang around, folks. Dr. Fate. Dr. Midnight. Starman. Johnny Quick. Wildcat. Power Girl. The All-Star Squadron. Firebrand. Amazing Man. Huntress. Cyclone. Sandman. Mr. Terrific. Commander Steel. Seven Soldiers of Liberty. Infinity Incorporated. Those are just some of the celebrated and beloved heroes associated with Earth 2 and the Justice Society of America. These daring mystery men and women banded together in 1940 to form the first super team in comics. They inspired a decades-long legacy of heroes who would follow in their footsteps. And now they've inspired us to launch a new podcast. Justice Society presents a new anthology on the Fire and Water Podcast Network featuring a variety of themed shows with different hosts celebrating some of their favorite comics and characters associated with the golden age of comics, Earth 2, the JSA, and beyond. We'll launch this new series with an ongoing show called Justice Society Presents Crisis, in which Rob and Shag go through each of the classic team-ups between the Justice League and the Justice Society. Then joining the podcast feed will be the Starman Chronicles. Chris and Cindy continue their coverage of James Robinson's epic series from beginning to end. Later in the year, Ryan Daly and Max Romero will tackle the Vertigo title, Sandman Mystery Theater. And two years later, Ryan will cancel it. That's probably... Then in the coming months and years, we'll be adding further ongoing shows and one-off specials celebrating other beloved characters and comics related to the JSA of any era, from the 1940s to today. Join the fight for justice and subscribe to Justice Society Presents on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to finish this episode off with Metamorphosis. Original broadcast date was May 3rd, 1992. Directed by Robert Weimer. Written by Paul Robert Coyle. Guest cast included Roddy Piper as Adrian Temple. Robin O'Dell as Sasha. Judy Clayton as Dr. Stern. Brett Sipes as Nathan Steeps. Stacey K. Black as the receptionist. Valerie Bassalone as the woman bodybuilder. Roger Floyd as kid number one. Joe Beatles as old Jeff Olton. Billy Gillespie as the pathologist. 
and that synopsis is brought to you by Wikipedia. The Bureau is investigating the deaths of several old people who were carrying IDs of young adults. All of them were members of the same gym, whose owner should be a senior citizen, but looks 30 years younger. Superboy saves the life of an old woman who turns out to be Lana Lang. It happened two days ago. Ready for your love down? I went to work out at Flawless Farms like I always do. Like I always did. To relax you. A little nap, huh? Yeah, guess I was more tired than I thought. Yeah. Guess I was really tired. The next day, I still felt weak. My hair was gray and my hands had spots on them. And you think the temple caused this somehow? It happened to others, too. Justin Steeps, Jeff Fulton. But how? I didn't need to drink anything while I was there. When I was asleep, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Why don't you talk to Clark or Matt or... Are they still here? Matt's with the body. I haven't seen Clark. I didn't want them to see me like this. They would have understood. The way people look at me the way you look at me. Lana. I told one person, Dr. Stern, when it all started happening. What did she say? Could she say? She took some tests and said she'd get back with me. Well, that's a start. We'll get her here, and then I'll go talk to Adrian Temple. We'll both talk to him. Shouldn't you rest? And age another 10 years? At this rate, I only have a few hours left and learns that the gym's owner, Adrian Temple, is exchanging his blood with the blood of younger customers. I think I might have found something. Remember that trace element I found in your blood? It's gold. Or a derivative. I've been doing some research into... into alchemy. Alchemy? Dr. Stern, I don't have... Lana, it's not hereditary. It's not a virus. We're running out of possibilities. But alchemy? That's chemistry and magic. The alchemists used gold derivatives in their formulas, and they were always trying to extend life. This is doing just the opposite. For you, maybe. What is that supposed to mean? Hold on. Here's your gold derivative. Then it was Adrian. But only he can tell us how he used it. And he's gone. I'll take this to my office and analyze it immediately. Take care of Lana, Dr. Stern. 
I'll work with the police on trying to find Temple. This causes his victims to become old as he becomes young, and he has set aside the Superboy's blood, which he believes will make him young forever. Is that a gray hair I see? Tell me how to help her. Oh, there is no way. I lied. <laughs> oh, yes, there is. I read all about it in one of Dr. Stern's books. You don't know what you're talking about. It seems that if an alchemist returns to his true age, his victims become young again. You're crazy! This is the way I was before. How did you do this? Your blood should have made me young forever. I never said it was my blood. His blood's still in the cooler. Then whose? Nathan Steeps. Remember my grandson, Justin? You killed him. You had this all planned. Nobody gets this. No! No! So this episode starts with street racing, capital city style. And uh, one of these leathered up guys recognizes the car belong as belonging to Justin. And here they are living life quarter mile at a time, except that Justin is weaving all over the road and going really slow. You know, driving, you know, kind of like an old man. So here comes Superboy stopping Justin's car. And I like the sparks on the road as he brings the car to a stop. His boots are uh, sparking on the road as if they catch fire. And he brings the car to the stop. And here's Justin, except he's an old man and dies. No one recognizes the old man, and Superboy sees an old woman walk away. And the old woman, we're going to eventually find out, is Lana. She's kind of almost like she's stalking Superboy. She's kind of at wherever he is, but not really making contact. So we go back to the to the lab, I guess, and uh, the old man's driver's license shows that he's 20 years old. Well, you don't look it, and that's kind of uh, forming the big mystery here. As Matt Dancer... Basically, that the body on the table is Nathan Steeps. Basically, there was some kind of card in Justin's wallet that said if something happens to Justin, contact Nathan Steeps at the uh, rest home. So, basically, Matt's theory is that Nathan Steeps stole his grandson's driver's license and uh, went drag racing. Clark's obvious question is why would an 80-year-old do that? But you know what? Sometimes an 80-year-old man needs to uh, sow a few more wild oats after he thought he was done. I mean, there are other ways for 80-year-olds to get their rocks off if they want, ways that won't kill them. So Clark is going to check on Nathan Steeps at his rest home, and that's when we see the old woman again. So here we go. Clark goes into the, into the uh, retirement home and says he's there about Nathan. And all of a sudden, Clark wants to talk to somebody about Nathan Steeps, and he finds the best person he can find to talk to Nathan about Nathan Steeps. He found Nathan Steeps. And I just love the way the actor delivered that. Can I help you? Uh, yeah, I think so. I'd like to speak to someone about Nathan Steeps. Huh. I'm the perfect person to ask. I'm Nathan Steeps. So Clark talks to Nathan for a minute and we find out that 
They talk about Justin, who uh, stays with a whole bunch of different friends because he's a student, kind of uh, seems like a bit of a couch surfer. And uh, Nathan gets fired up. If anybody hurt him, I don't know what I'd do. Well, the old man's going to get a chance to do something. Because apparently there's some kind of special bond between Nathan and Justin. We know nothing about Justin, and we don't know anything about his parents either. You know, maybe they're dead, and maybe he was raised by Nathan. Who knows? The parents being out of the picture is the only reason I can kind of assume that Nathan would be Justin's emergency contact. So Nathan says Clark is asking similar questions to the other one, a woman who was about his age. When I say his age, I mean Nathan's age. And now Clark is looking for her. So while this is going on, the camera shows us a kid with some very 90s-looking jeans. I kind of remember that style, and uh, he's, I might have even had a pair of jeans like that. I don't necessarily want to remember them. But anyway, we're at the gym, and here is Rowdy Rowdy Piper as the gym owner, Adrian Temple. Apparently, the guy who has done fitness ads in the 60s. And Matt says he must be older. Well, here we go. Temple drops a whole bunch of clues right in the dialogue, and... You wanted to see me. I'm the owner, Adrian Temple. You can't be. Yes. The same guy who did all those ads in the 60s? Have a flawless form in 12 minutes a day? I'm him. Well, you'd have to be at least. Oh, as old as I want to be. Gentlemen, please. Gentlemen. Aging is something you choose to do. I really believe that. Brittle bones, wrinkles, senality. So much of that is cultural. I like that. It's probably something that's subtle enough that the that the kiddies won't notice, but it's definitely appreciated as an adult. As Temple gives himself away left, right, and center here, and no one seems to notice. So Temple says that he is as old as he wants to be. That's very telling based on what we're going to find out later. And then now, while they're talking to Temple, there's another old man. This one's hot-wiring a car. And just you know, something you uh, tend to see a whole lot. Old men hot-wiring vehicles, right? So now Temple is just saying aging is something you choose to do. But he'll check Justin's record. So there, here we go. Adrian is letting out all sorts of clues. Yeah. I wish I could choose not to age. Maybe choose not to gain some weight as well. You know, a lot of things that have happened to me that I'd rather choose not choose them. But I'm stuck with the choice. So now we got the old woman who's walking out in front of a car that crashes into the gym. He crashed his car right into the front door. And we find out he's wearing Jeff Alton's jacket. But they said they can't be him. This can't be him. He's way too old. Sensing a theme here. So now the old lady's trying to get into this Jeep, and this is when Superboy finally catches up to her and finds that the old woman is Lana. And she doesn't know how she wound up this old. She's been like this for two days, and apparently she's a member of Temple's gym. I mean, which is fine. I mean, we've never seen anything about Lana's life, really, especially in Capital City. She's always been a part of the Bureau plot, and she hasn't really had any personal stories <clears throat> for quite some time. The most personal story Lana's even had this season was when she went back to Smallville during the threesome two-parter. So Lana goes to the gym at Temple's, and we see a woman holding some kind of incense as Temple gives her a massage, and that kind of puts Lana to sleep. Apparently, she uh, really needed that massage. And then, but while she dozes off, a hospital curtain, you know, like those divider curtains that they use at the hospital to uh, so the roommate can't see what's going on, back when hospitals had multiple people in a room. They might have that now, I don't know, in the COVID times. So, Lana wakes up. She feels a little weak. She kind of just chalked that up to being tired, which which I guess is something. So, But Lana now, this old lady Lana does, thinks that Temple is responsible, and she's aware that it happened to others. You know, you almost forget, because Lana is our main character, that she is roughly the same age as all of these people. Justin Steves, Jeff Dalton, 
You could almost imagine them, you know, all hanging out, which is interesting. So Lana suggests that her aging up has uh, happened when she was asleep. And Lana doesn't want to talk to Matt or Clark because she doesn't want them to see her as an old woman. So some, even though she's dying, some of her vanity remains. And she's taking exception to the way everyone looks at her. I mean, I guess the people who know she's supposed to be young would look at her differently. But, you know, I can imagine that people who don't know her at all wouldn't give her the strange look. At least you hope not. And Lana doesn't want to rest because she feels like she's aging rapidly. She feels if she goes to sleep, she's going to age another 10 years. So she wants to stay awake as much as possible. So now this latest incident with uh, Jeff driving into the gym has made Adrian drive off and kind of uh, go to ground. So now some gold substance was found in Lana's blood. And Dr. Stern is directing directly to alchemy. And apparently alchemists want that want to extend their lives. In order to do that, they use uh, this gold substance here and... And mix it with not only their blood, but the blood of the victim. And that's how they take the victim's years. So after that long scene of exposition, everyone leaves the gym. And Temple's assistant just kind of walks onto the camera and does a little bit of scowling. So apparently what we're going to find out from Dr. Stern is that the gold cells eat the red cells. And now we're going to find out that everyone who has that in their blood needs constant blood transfusions from young people in order to survive. So now we have our answer. Temple has switched blood with Lana stealing her years and transferring them over to him. So now Temple is in his hotel room and sweating, and he's apparently not going to be getting his supply of blood anytime soon. At least he doesn't think he is. And Temple reacted very rather violently for Sasha not having the formula. I suppose if he had the gold formula, he could have just kind of taken Sasha's blood right then and there, couldn't he? And Lana is falling asleep and is starting to look even older than she originally was. So she's definitely uh, got it in her head that she's going to be dead soon. So she has a vested interest in uh, finding uh, Adrian soon. And I think Stern trying to wake up Lana here was worried for a minute that Lana was dead. I mean, she could barely hold herself up. But when Temple shows up at the lab, he hits, still hits her with the cane. And, and then in comes Superboy. We find out that they knew Sasha was there all along. And apparently their plan was to draw out Temple. But there's another plan afoot here. Superboy is going to have Temple cure Lana at the cost of his own blood. So we get some heat vision, the puncture Superboy's skin, and Temple comments that Superboy's blood could keep him young for decades, and that's something writers have toyed with over the decades with regards to the character. I think it's pretty much a comic consensus now that Superman's aging studies and slows after he reaches adulthood. As Lois Lane says in uh, the Lois O'Clock episode, Brutal Youth, which also kind of takes a stab at this topic as well, one day she'll be an old crone, and Clark will still be Superman. So, here's where the switch happens. Dr. Stern puts Superboy's blood in the cooler, and she takes out Nathan's blood, which makes Adrian old. We assume they took out Superboy's blood to put into Adrian, but I just love the reveal that the blood belonged to Nathan Steeps. Adrian asks whose blood is it? He's like, me, Nathan Steeps. You know, again, if somebody hurt Justin, and this is what he'll do to, can't say make it right, but he's definitely making sure his grandson's killer gets caught and goes to prison. All he can do for his grandson at this point. Now, Superboy demanded that Temple cured Lana, and uh, he reveals that he lied. But apparently Lana has done some light reading, and she learned that if the alchemist returns to his true age, the victims become young again. Temple disputes that, but, you know, it's kind of some kind of magic, I guess. That's really the only way to explain it. There's no way for Lana's body to know what's going on in Temple's. It's one of those things you have to go with for the sake of the story. It's magic as a plot device, which I don't really care for. So now Temple's going to jail. He's old. Lana is young. 
and the formula is gone because she threw it against the wall. Another area is another episode that's memorable, and having your characters get old in some fashion is another old trope. It's not done poorly here, and except for the reversal of Lana's age, it's too easy, and it's unclear how old Lana can keep up with what Clark's doing, but ordinarily, but apparently she can. I do like, and we've seen this before in the show, that Superboy manipulated events to solve the problem. He has once again uh, outsmarted the villain. But also, it's an episode I remembered because Lana being aged up is memorable. Like I said before, Lois and Clark were doing this in season four as well, just not as well. And But that episode has the advantage of bringing uh, Jack Larson back as an old Jimmy Olsen. So plenty to look forward to there. So, until next time, I'll finish my coverage of season four and of Superboy in general with the two-part episode, Rites of Passage. Meanwhile, if you want to leave feedback, it's always welcome. Man of screen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, you put Man of Screen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. But follow the show on Twitter at Man of Screen Cast. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyrighted by original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.